Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Lance Tyson, President and CEO of the Tyson Group. Lance is a seasoned entrepreneur and a longtime sales vet who has trained sales talent for some of the biggest names in professional sports and entertainment. He has successfully revved the sales engines of some of the most successful professional sports teams in the world. I'm talking about teams like the Dallas Cowboys, the Cleveland Browns, the New York Yankees, Miami Dolphins, Fenway Sports, and the Boston Red Sox, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the San Francisco 49ers, and in 2016, the NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers, among many, many others. Lance is a leading authority and a recognized speaker and trainer who draws on over two decades of sales experience to educate others on how to succeed in sales. Lance is the author of an important book for all of you to read, Sales is an Away Game, Close Business and Compete in a Complex World, a highly acclaimed book that became an Amazon bestseller and number one new release. Lance is the first sales leader to join our show with such an emphasis on sports and entertainment, and I am super excited to have him share a story with us today. Lance, welcome to our show, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited. Lance, I've been excited to have you on ever since we met. We had a chance to talk and you shared your story. I'm a huge sports guy, but more important, I'm a huge sales guy. And you have done an awesome job of blending those two, man. And that's why I love meeting you so much. Can you start by introducing the Tyson Group and what you do to all of our listeners? Yeah. Um, essentially, it comes down to our mission statement. I teach our salespeople to talk like this all the time. Um, our mission is to work with sales leaders and sales teams to help them compete in a complex world. Because at the end of the day, sales gets a little, it's a little bit more complex. And it doesn't matter if you're in sports or not that we, we tend to have a, um, emphasis in sports and entertainment. It's, it's where our social proof is. So a lot of people know sports is sexy. They talk about sports at work. They're always in their fantasy leagues and things like that. So it becomes an interesting topic. But the way we look at it, sales is sales. And if it's B2B, that's where our play is. I love it. And I think that's going to be something that people are going to be interested in. I think a lot of people might think that, oh, sports teams, it's just B2C. And we're going to get into how it is B2B and, and how you've done some really cool things that I can't wait to share. Um, thanks for sharing that. Can you tell us a little bit, though, about one of the things our listeners always tell me they love? How did you get into sales? You know, guys like you and me, you know, we didn't go to college to be a salesperson probably. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Though people are doing that now, right, Lance? Some people are doing that now. There are some sales degrees out there. There are. And I'm so stoked. Can you share your story? How'd you get into sales? And, and maybe more important, how did that lead you to starting such an interesting company that helps sales organizations around the world? 
Well, first of all, I'm a history major, so what do all good history majors do? They they go into sales, right? Yeah. So, um, so uh, no, actually, kind of what happened with me, interesting story. My dad was an entrepreneur, owned um, a big excavating business, was always looking for a deal. He had his ups and downs, and he just said, the world's your oyster, and, and you know, nobody's going to be able to do it unless you're going to be able to do it. So in college, I, I paid for my first year at a branch campus of Penn State selling rainbow vacuum cleaners. Um, yes. I was successful at it because I listened to what they told me to, find referrals and talk to my relatives. And my Aunt Mary was the first one to buy one for me. And then all of a sudden, I sold like seven or eight of them that summer, and I paid for a year of college. And then I got up to Penn State main campus, sold some advertising for a radio station, you know, worked my odd end jobs and things like that. And then I quit school my, my senior year at about 12 credits left. And that's right when the wall was coming down in Europe. And I decided I was going to form an import export business. And I, you know, created this really awesome company named Lancet Group. And <laughs> I started, I started to cold call these companies, telling them I could help them export into Eastern Europe. And then one company I called on ended up saying, you're a pretty good salesperson. Do you want a job? And I took a job with them and then just awesome. decided that, uh, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, it was, it was something I enjoyed, something I was good at. Then I wanted to become more of a public, I always wanted to be a public speaker and things like that. So I applied for a sales job with Tony Robbins and I applied for a sales job uh, with Stephen Covey at the time who was really hot. And then Dale Carnegie training, they ended up hiring me and went to get my degree and then I was off to the races. How'd that, uh, so I love that story. That's a killer story. How did that lead you to, to the sports and entertainment world? Yeah, so interesting enough, I was working for Dale Carnegie Training, and, and I'd recommend anybody who's listening, if you never took the Dale Carnegie course or haven't picked up the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, you're making a major, major mistake in your business life and your sales life. I first, agree, by the way. That's a great book. Yeah, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's how do you win? Well, you first win relationships, friendships, rapport with people, then you influence them if you're going to get it done. So it's my first, you can go pick it up tonight at a FedEx Kinko or get in the line. So I started to work with those guys and we were kind of, we were kind of landlocked. We had these franchises or sponsorships and I worked for one of my mentors in Philly and we just formed a relationship with the Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce and the Eagles were building a new stadium. And we just said, look, we're going to trade tickets for sales training. And they said, that sounds good. So I met some guys there when they were younger in their career, a guy like Len Komorowski, who's now the CEO of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And um, I had moved to Cleveland. He moved to Cleveland after that, knew of me and said, hey, we're going to do this Dale Carnegie stuff. And then a lot of the guys in, in that organization had launched their careers in pro sports. So from there, I just kind of started to get involved and become, you know, I guess an expert. With, with these teams and they start to, it was right in the era of new stadiums. So I got involved with a lot of new stadiums. After I left Carnegie and sold all, we owned several Dale Carnegie training operations in, after I left Philadelphia in Ohio, Indiana, in Kentucky. So you had the Browns, you had the Cavs, you had the Colts, you had the Pacers. So we just started to get really networked. And then in 2010, when I sold, a lot of the guys that I had trained when they were younger went on to become executives. So you know, referrals and getting the call up. And so we created a little bit of an expertise in pro sports entertainment. So that's how I got started. I love it. Relationships. One thing led to another. And now that's, now you're one of the top in the world at helping organizations rev that engine up. Yeah. We're fortunate enough to have good social proof with those brands comes with a lot of responsibility. Well, that's what I want to get into here in a second. And so let's, let's, let's go, man. Let's, let's dive in. I think a great place to start to get into your wheelhouse, Lance is, 
how similar, you know, like how complex is a sales challenge that a pro sports team, for instance, faces? Well, I mean, we got, we got a couple thousand people listening to this right now. Heck yeah. Well, I get so much feedback. Like <clears throat> somebody said to me, well, how hard is it to sell, you know, the New England Patriots? Well, yeah, the New England Patriots are like a, and I'm not a knock on any Boston fan at all. I I particularly don't cheer for teams anymore because too many of them are customers. <laughs> like listening to excuses of salespeople in pro sports, like, oh, it'd be so so much easier working for the, the Patriots. I said, yeah, but you're not going to make your career working for the Patriots. You're going to make your career working for the Browns five years ago because yeah. then you know you can sell, right? Yeah, you, you have your enigmas in the world. Like, and don't get me wrong, the Patriots sell. I would say it's a little easier if you just won the Super Bowl. Right. Um, I, I would say it brings its own challenges, but then, then you have, you have a lot of the inventory. If you've ever been to a pro sporting event or even a big college team, we do a lot in colleges. You're looking at a lot of high end premium where you're looking at a suite at, and I'm not quoting any of their prices because I don't have them in front of me, but I'm just going to give you some ranges. If you're going to go to TD Garden, for instance, you're going to spend well in Boston, you're going to spend, $150,000, a year for suites. Well, you're either going to sell to a private wealthy individual, and if you can get a list for private wealthy individuals, let me know, right? Yeah, Or right. a business that can afford it, right? So like an Aramark of the world or a, you know, an IBM. So you're all B2B, and then your high-end premium seats are going to be that way. They're all very big ticket items. And then you look at the other side of sports, which is sponsorship. I mean, you can do some research online and see what a deal looks at AT&T Stadium or the Oakland Raiders, I think, just signed a new new deal with naming rights for their stadium. They are very complex, long-cycled sales that are heavy in the negotiation at the end, and you have to be buttoned up to be able to do that. So they are complex. And the last thing, the problem with pro sports is you're actually selling things people don't need. Who the hell needs tickets? What do you need tickets for? We as a company, we have tickets. We have tickets to the Memorial. We have tickets to the Blue Jackets here in town. I don't need tickets for my business. It's a nice to have, not a need to have. So, yeah. so is, there's some complexity there. Not everybody wants tickets. That's a really, like, those are really good considerations. And we got, like I said, we have a couple thousand people listening to this. They're like either driving or on the treadmill or whatever. And I hope people are like resonating with that. Say, okay, so this is an interesting challenge. You know, you have a pretty focused kind of target market for each of those geos, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. It is a nice to have, not a need to have. And, uh, and that creates- It's all like a software sales. Software sales is the same. If I'm going to sell HubSpot or I'm going to sell Salesforce.com, I got a certain target in a certain region. I got to be able to hit those marks. It's it's not anything different, folks. Like you got to think yeah. through it. I mean, it's, it's a specialty and it's a focus. So when you come in then, let's talk about your blueprint. You come in to help any of these teams or any of these other organizations, where do you start? So a guy like you that's coming in to rev it up, help that sales team succeed in a complex environment, where do you start? So as a sales influencer that's working with sales leaders to help them build something that succeeds after you leave, what do you help them do that maybe they weren't doing when you got there? I think the first thing is we have a four-step process when we approach. Assess, design, train, coach. It's real simple. It's four steps. Assess to us is a verb. So there's multiple ways to assess. I can't tell you how many sales organizations we go into where they have, where a sales leader has an opinion of what the profile of a good salesperson is, but that has a lot to do with 
how much they like that person, not always looking at their skill set. So I'm not a big fan. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of doing that assessment based off the opinion of sales leadership, but I think that's part of the issue. I don't think enough sales leaders take seriously looking at skill set, right? Now, by the way, for all sales leaders out there and anybody that's ever done business with me, I don't believe leaders are born and I don't believe salespeople are born. I believe they're built. And, I would agree with that. And I think we talked about that once before. So, so I think you got to look at, there are some, look, if you have a salesperson that's a duck and you're trying to make that duck an eagle, one thing's going to happen for you. You're just going to piss the duck off. <laughs> the duck's a duck at the end of the day. Like not that you don't need ducks on your team at some level, right? But a duck's a duck. So you got to be able to look at, there's based off our, our research and some of the partners we have, there's about 140 different sales skill sets that fit into about 40 different sales jobs. Okay. And you want to decide what you have and what you need. And then some of those sales skill sets are not coachable. And I, I don't think a lot of sales leaders understand that. And secondly, most of the sales leaders have been promoted because we were the best at sales. And that doesn't necessarily make us the best leaders. Actually, as a matter of fact, all the, all the work we do, it's not actually translatable. So that's the other thing they struggle with. They struggle with their own success and how they got there and translating that over. It's near impossible to teach radar, right? So we go in and first assess and just get a whole look at their culture, their sales skill sets, how people are compensated, because compensation drives about 60% of a salesperson's behavior. We were just in with the sales team recently with a uh, an organization building a new sales arena and they hired a bunch of high, high level salespeople and they were having most of their bonuses were group bonus bonuses. So I said to the decision makers and the investors, I'm like, how can you have a bunch of salespeople and you're going to bonus them on what the team does and not give them an individual bonus? And mm-hmm. they go, well, that makes more sense with millennials. I said, says who? They says, well, millennials are not competitive. I go, really? Do you see any millennials sharing their grades when they get a bad grade? <laughs> right? I have millennials. My sons are millennials. You ever see them play Fortnite? They chirp each other all night. So I said, that's kind of garbage. I said, when I was in high school, I got, I was in advanced biology and I got a good grade because I just went and let everybody cokes. Like, anybody need a coke? I go, I'm making a run to Wawa. I'm making a run to 7 Eleven. I participated in an A just because I was there. You don't want your, you, you don't want a football team as a sales team. You want a wrestling team. You want a track team. You want a golf team. You want people worried about their weight class. So I think they're all things that we assess, and then we'll come up with some kind of design. We don't customize. We tailor. And I'll say, I think that's a really important designation. So when we go in and design, we tailor. Nobody wants to be a guinea pig. We just started a wonderful relationship with uh, – Two two organizations, one really hot organization, Top Golf. If anybody's ever Top yep. Golf here, and you love think that place, by the way, love that place. Awesome, isn't it? The salespeople yeah. are wonderful Super too. Cool. But with them, we we were able to get a relationship with Six Flags, and Six Flags didn't want to. Six Flags wanted to know what we did with everybody else. What are you doing with Top Golf? What are you doing here? What works? They don't want to be the guinea pig. So when we design, we tailor the suit. We don't we don't make a brand new suit. We take a suit that's there and make it fit better. And then we train and coach alongside each other. So that's our approach. It's real simple. But the approach we take, and I think it's a wonderful question, is I think all sales leaders need to be doing that. And they got, like, assess has to be deep. Skill sets, culture, calm, attitudes. 
Can we talk about that a little more? I, I'm really interested in, I think that's a good one for all of our listeners. As I was writing down your four steps, cool four steps, I appreciate you sharing them. This assess, what I like is, I was thinking at first you're going to be going in like a sales process where you're teaching the reps to assess. What you're saying is, as a sales leader that's leading a complex sales team, you had better, I love how you said it's a verb, assess these drivers that create an environment where the, where the motivated can succeed. That's kind of how I'm interpreting it. You want to have an environment where motivated people can win. Um, is, am I, am I saying that right? Yeah, no, there's no doubt, right? And, and it's, 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 you got to look at what kind of salespeople you have, what their skill sets are, what the best way to communicate with them. Like we have this, we, we use this one tool that looks at, looks at skill. It's not like a Myers Briggs where it's just like, I'm okay with looking at personality traits, but here's the problem with personality traits. You and I can't change a person's personality traits. They're innate hardwiring. Right. So the only thing I can affect as a leader is somebody's attitude and I can improve skill set or give them a process to overcome a shortcoming. So when we go in and, and look at all these things, one of, one of our tools is the best way to communicate with some salespeople. Hmm. For instance, um, we have a lot of good clients. I think of the Dallas Cowboys. I think of the Cleveland Browns you mentioned earlier, right? Um, who are all in the, uh, they're real big on culture. And I'm always on the sales leaders like, hey, make sure your culture is not a cult. Right. Oh, say that again. That's Make a good sure one. Your culture is not a cult. I mean, you don't want to be lining Dixie cups up, right? It's like, it's, <laughs> it's important. Like for instance, I, I have one of, one of the, my most fun people execs watching growing up has been a guy named Bob Civic. He was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was the salesperson who sold me my first seats at the Cats. And he's now he's a, he's a VP with the Browns and kind of running show a little bit at the Columbus crew. And he, he literally is, is classic all through his career. We're going to have a contest. We're going to have a contest. I said, but, yeah. but Siv, I was like, what about the people that don't like the contest? He goes, what do you mean? I said, I would personally hate a contest. I would think you were manipulating me. He goes, would you not try to win? I go, oh no, I'd try to win. <laughs> I said, but you said, I will win. Not going to try to win. Fact, I will it's win. Like good coaching. That's fantastic. It's not try. It's not hope. It's, it's will. But the point is, some people love need those contests. Some people don't. So it just doesn't mean you contest things to death either, right? But you got to know all these things if you're going to run a successful salespeople. It has to go beyond campaigns and pipelines. You got to know who you have. I think that's a really good insight because there has been a lot of people think you can contest things to death. You know, if, if I just make them more motivated, then they'll figure it out. And what you're saying is let's build an infrastructure where we figure it out and plug people in, the right people plugged into the right system. So we talked about culture tons of times. <clears throat> culture is usually a hot topic on this show, and I'm really interested to get your perspective on it because you've brought it up already. I've never heard someone say build a culture, not a cult. I love that. I want to I want to dive into that a little bit. What's the impact of culture? How What do you think culture is? What's its role? How do you build it? How have you seen culture like work different ways for different organizations? Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, yeah no, I think it's a I think it's a valid question. Um, I was thinking about six months ago, I was working with Madison Square Garden. One of their young uh, sales leaders said to me, does the, does the organization, conf-, and we're talking about millennials. And by the way, I, I am a person does not believe the garbage about millennials and Gen Z that's coming up. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. Um, I, I don't think it's kumbaya with them. I think they're competitive. I have sons that play Fortnite and play competitive sports. They're no different than you or I was. 
where it's garbage. Yep. They, they just can bullhorn their ideas a little louder with social media. So, yep. and, but, but the, I think they're actually any group that takes pictures of themselves <laughs> would be the greatest group of salespeople we ever saw because that narcissism will get them through, right? So I agree so, with your perspective, by the way. I totally agree. I, I just, I just think they're that good. I think they're going to be better than, than we were. I, I, I think though this yeah. gal says to me at Madison Square Garden, she says, so should the organization conform to the, um, to the individual, should the individual conform to the organization? I go, I, I said, what's your definition of, for instance, motivation? Because you talk a lot, you mentioned that a lot in culture. I said, you, I said, you truly know what the word, where motivation comes from? And she goes, no, I don't. I said, well, motivation is Latin root is moti, means from within. It's not outward to in, it's inward to out. I can't truly motivate anybody. Love that. Right? They can only motivate themselves. And I said, well, what's manipulation? Is that good or bad? And she goes, well, I don't know. I said, well, let me give you, for example, let me give you an example. One time my dad was an excavator and he was screaming at me because I had to move this pile to a modified stone about 25 feet. And he kept saying, Lance, the, 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 the shovel's owning you, the shovel's owning you, the shovel's owning you. You're working too hard with the shovel. He goes, you got to manipulate the shovel. You got to get the shovel to work for you. And then he showed me, well, if you look at the definition of manipulation, it's to act in a skillful manner. That is an actual definition. One of the definitions of manipulation is you got to ask yourself when you're building culture, right? And, and what it is and what it isn't. Are you telling me that you don't manipulate your salespeople to act in a skillful manner? You are. I mean, when I said that, when I brought Bob Simic up, who's like I said, one of my favorite execs, like you're telling me you're not, you're, you're telling me you're trying to motivate people with a contest, but you're, but you're not trying to manipulate them. Come on. Are your goals going up or are they going down? They're going up. Lance, that is so good. We like this show's been going for over a year. We've had some awesome guests, but we have never had someone come and address motivation versus manipulation. That is so good. That's something every leader needs to stop and think about because you're right. Motivation should come from within. Manipulation is absolutely on without. And and that has to be part of why there's so much high turnover. Excuse me. I'm sorry. With salespeople, salespeople had 26% of salespeople in the United States switched jobs last year. Do you think some of it's because they feel manipulated rather than self-driven? Well, I, I, I think they feel manipulated. I, I think the people that we see leave their jobs. So, like, to act in a skillful manner, there's a positive definition of manipulation. And yes. not understanding motivation. Like, for instance, I see a lot of people. I get a lot of phone calls. I got five today. And we are real specific. And um, we have a couple of competitors that are trainers and um, in their staffing companies. And I teach my salespeople. They're easy to sell again. So okay. we, don't, we don't recruit. We don't do anything like that. But we do take phone calls and try and guide careers where we can, especially if our customers also well, know about it. And I think most salespeople leave today that I hear is because they feel boxed in that that's their that's their their job right there. My cousin Christopher. This is a lot of this is nepotism. He was working with the Philadelphia Flyers. He felt boxed in. Really good salesperson. I like the kid. Plus, he's my my wife's Sicilian, and that's his, her, her godson. Yep. So I, I introduced him to some decision makers at the Dolphins. And you talk about a great culture. I was on the phone with their executive team today. They have a great culture. The Dolphins are just class act. They just build sales leaders and sales talent. Well, the problem at the, not the Flyers are my favorite hockey team, um, but they've made him as a sales rep feel boxed in that there wasn't necessarily this, 
this level of um, this next level for whatever reason. Maybe he was misreading it. But I think most people ultimately leave because they don't feel they have a next step. But I do think millennials are antsy, though. They, they, you know, they get three months in, and they're like, hey, am I going to be VP yet? <laughs> no, no, not yet. <laughs> okay, well, I like that. So let's let's stay on culture for a second. So how do you build that culture where the motivated can succeed? Maybe you can share some examples of those things you've helped, you've seen people do and, and, and ways that culture has really helped salespeople have the success that you're talking about? Well, I think number one, it starts with transparency. If people don't, people don't know what you're about in, in, and your own transparency is explaining what you value. We do this pretty cool exercise with sales leaders and I'm actually, I'll be doing it tomorrow or excuse me, Wednesday and Thursday with a team, an organization called legends. It's a, it's a, it's a company that's owned by the Cowboys and Yankees together and some other investors and, and they have some ownership in it. And, and they're real successful at building, um, going into a new stadium and, and just really helping solve the assets. And we're working with our leadership team. And one of the things I ask leaders all the time and help to help them discover the value system is what do you coach on or what pisses you off the most about sales reps? What do you end up coaching or talking about all the time? And then we kind of back it into this conversation about really what grinds them is really what their value system is. And so I don't, I don't think people, I don't think sales leaders are transparent what their value system is and upfront with expectations, right? And they don't lay those expectations. So what happens is, they end up coaching when they're, they, they end up taking corrective action when they should have coached. So they're not outlining performance standards about behaviors, minimums. Remember, minimum standards are put together for the losers. No offense. For right. the lowest common denominator. That's Without a doubt. have performance standards. <clears throat> I'm in the training business, so as I talk loosely there, I care about developing people, but yep. that's what performance standards are for. So I think building that culture they're not as transparent around values and performance standards. Then secondly, the thing that's different about sales than maybe managing a, a plant or a manufacturing facility is goals are always going this way and resources are never climbing like goals are. You're right. So you get caught in this gap trap, right? Your, your resources aren't climbing with everything else. So you have to make a decision about your culture. Number one, um, teamwork, playing nice with each other. Yeah, that that's important, but I, I need the whole team to hit their number. Therefore, I need each individual to win their game. So I, I said it before, as a sales team, I find more likely than not, you probably need a golf team, a wrestling team, a swim team, or track team where people are worried about their – like winning a state title, your weight class is more important than winning a team state title. Got it. Yeah. And that's that's kind of where that transparency comes in. And then then as you're building that culture, you got to make a decision: are you a thermostat or a thermometer? I love this. Yep, I love right? this. So so like at the end of the day, both take temperature. A thermostat manipulates the climate. Yep. To get the temperature at once, and at different times, you may need. A different, a, a different type of climate. Like for instance, I was on the phone last night with, with the VP that runs the Dallas Cowboys on the ticket side. That guy, his name is Doug Dawson. That guy is classic at being able to light a fire or cool it down. You'll never know who he is, mm-hmm. right? 
and you need to be, and I'd write this down if I was listening, you got to be consistently inconsistent. If you, if your salespeople can read you at all times, they know what to get. You almost got to be able to turn it up and down. So, and there was a, a coach at UC Berkeley back in the day, a basketball coach. His name was Phil Newell. Okay. And you just never knew who Phil was going to be. He won a national championship in the 50s. Actually, Bill Walsh, Walsh was a big fan of his. And you never know when he was going to kind of ride you about one little bad pass and then two minutes later forget about it. But you never know who he was going to be. I think you need to have some inconsistently inconsistency see with your approach so people can't overread you or maybe be predictably unpredictable a little bit. Because like that's what that. you need, right? You got to think through what I'm saying. I really like that. I want to go back to that performance gap. Goals are going up re- like this fast and resources are going here and you have this gap. I really like that. That's that's a visual that I think every single sales leader can relate to because Man, I'm like you. I, I don't work in the sports and entertainment business like you, but we work with sales leaders in 52 countries that are all getting double-digit goals, but they're not getting double-digit headcount increases, for instance. Exactly. You know, exactly. we got to grow by 20% this year, but we're going to only hire 4% more people. Right. That kind of thing. So I think every single sales leader can relate to that. Your fourth thing on your list was coaching. Is is that where coaching comes in to try to have your reps kind of get get more out of what you have? Is that, is that kind of how, how that fits? Is that- well, so we do a lot of sales management work and, and, and we, our best clients exist when we work with sales leaders first and then sales teams. Our worst relationships are when they just stick us in as an event. So we put time out. Oh, I, why? That is a big, that's a big idea. I love that. You, you drew, you drew for like, we, we don't even take on clients now unless we can work with sales leaders first. Because, because think about this. Wow. Think about it. Like in your business and what I do, when somebody brings a training organization, a consulting organization, and you're abdicating responsibility of your job to somebody else. So essentially, you're admitting something's wrong or your message isn't getting through or you don't have the resources to get it done, right? I was talking to a marketing firm today. Hey, I'm basically raising my hand to this marketing firm saying, listen, I, I don't think I have a CMO to, that's going to get this done or somebody's even ready. I need your help. Right. So I'm advocating my responsibility to somebody. That's so important. And if you don't have that alignment, we, I just find we lose more often than not. I'd rather not have the business. Now, going back to your question with coaching, I think this is a challenge. So think about this. Okay. I don't think most leaders know the difference between education, training, coaching, corrective action and accountability. Okay, let's let's break each one down because I think you're onto something, and I would agree with you based on what my experience has been. So I'm really really interested to get your point of view on this. Right. So so I, I think education is giving somebody the know how to do something, but that doesn't mean they can actually do it. Right. Education, if you think about it this way, you got four levels of learning: unconsciously incompetent, consciously incompetent. Right. Conscious, confident. Yep. 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 Unconscious, confident. So being unconsciously incompetent, you don't even know what the hell you don't know. Right. Right. You might need to educate people on something so they become more learned at that. But I can't, I can't necessarily send somebody to a YouTube video, just expect them to be able to do something. Right. I might actually train them. So training is being able to get somebody to do something different. So I can go in and teach your folks how to resolve objections. But if I don't have some kind of drill or something to transfer behavior, that's where training comes in. Okay. Coaching is, is getting them to 
believe that something can get better or recognize that something can get better. Like it's, um, but there's so, but the coaching is the most multifaceted of them because you, like, for instance, I got a lot, when we do a lot of consulting, we get a lot of frustrated, you know, a lot of frustrated leaders on, on their, this person, so-and-so has a bad attitude, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, how do you coach that? Well, my first piece of advice, you can never coach a bad attitude unless you observe it. That'd be like my, I have a puppy named Bella, right? So say Bella urinates on the floor. Two hours before I walk in, what am I going to do, yell at her? Right. I can actually catch Bella in the act. The Bella's yeah. just excited to see me. So if you can't observe a bad behavior, you can't, you can't really coach it. You can't do it through third party because you have too much evidence for the other person to argue their own case. They don't see it. Some people aren't even aware. So coaching is getting somebody to believe it. Coaching could be an aspect of training, right? Yep. Coaching somebody on a drill and stuff like that. But yep. then corrective action is, is like, look, somebody is so egregiously outside the lines that I got to take corrective action. <laughs> we got to correct it. But if I don't lay the performance standards out, I can't coach the corrective action. So that's the way we, we, that seems to make sense to a lot of leaders because I think they bucket everything under, under just coaching. And I think they're separate. It's, you know what it, it's like, Rob, it's, it's just like people not knowing the difference between leadership and management. They're two very different things. percent process leadership to people. Everybody just calls everything leadership. It's not semantics. It's different. It's totally different. So I love those four, that breakdown of those, the, how you differentiate those. Can I, I just want to ask one more question and then I'll, yeah. we'll get back on because I can't yeah. believe how fast time's going. There's a couple more things we still want to talk about. When you talked about coaching, the first word you used, and it may have been an unconscious competence that you just <laughs> demonstrated, but, but it hit me. I wrote it down. I've got well over a page of notes already from our conversation and I put a box around it and I started. I want to make sure I got you right on. When you said coaching, the word you used was believe. Can you get people to believe? Is, would you say that that's a really important word that's associated with coaching? And if uh, so, why? A hundred percent. Um, I'm going to give you an example with this. I have three sons that play hockey. Okay. One of plays for Hobart College in New York. Um, I have another son that's shipping off to Philadelphia to play juniors. So nice. my oldest is a forward. My middle one's a defenseman, and my youngest is in high school, and he's he's a goalie. Goalies are just weird anyway. So uh, anyway, so um, my middle one has lived in the shadow of the older one, not even the same position. So there's a gentleman that wrote Hockey Tough, a book called Hockey Tough. His, his name's Saul Miller. Okay. Right? And if you ever get the book, it's just a great book for business too. And so I asked Saul to coach. I hired Saul Services to coach my middle son because it's a belief thing with him. So we were just in the Jersey Shore on vacation, and um, my middle son came up with this uh, sweatshirt and it said "Raised by Wolves." And he goes, "I want this." And it was an expensive sweatshirt. I go, Why do you want that? I said, "We're not. I'm not a wolf." He goes, "Well, you kind of are, Dad." But he said, <laughs> "Doctor Miller asked me what animal I was on the ice." If I had to pick an animal, I told him a wolf. This means something to me, Dad. That's who I need to be as a defenseman. And, like, he needed another voice. You know, you're never a prophet in your own land. Definition of an expert is somebody who lives 30 miles outside your hometown, doesn't know any more than you, just says it in a different way. So <laughs> Paul Miller is the expert. But it is a belief thing. you got to get people to believe. You know, I think Abraham Lincoln said, if you look for the bad of my, mankind, you'll surely find it. Dale Carnegie said, any fool can criticize, and most fools do, right? You and I can increase the sum total of the world's happiness, how? By giving a few words of um, encouragement 
to somebody. You might forget the words you say today, but the recipient will probably cherish them for a lifetime. It is a belief in self. Because remember, most of our minds, especially salespeople, our minds are like bad neighborhoods. Sometimes it's not good to be alone in there. Right. So you got to get them to believe in something. I dig it. I believe it. I really believe that. So yeah, I'm glad you picked up on it because it, it is a belief. Yeah. I thought, I thought that was interesting. That was the first word. And we have a lot of people talking about coaching, but you're the first one to talk about creating belief. And I think that effective coaching is I look at education as knowledge. Training was learning how to do coaching is learning to believe that there's something more and then yep. corrective action. You got to that too. So I, Especially I the belief, belief in yourself, right? A lot of people right. believe in themselves. Isn't that true that I, I think that's so true. Or even if you're doing well and maybe you believe I've done all I can do here. Right. 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 Yeah. And, well, and so right. I, I think there's so much there. So I, we're, we're down. We're, we got a few minutes left and there's a few things I still want to get from you. I, I got to think that you've seen some interesting stories on how these differing cultural things have led to success or, or maybe some stories that you learned from anything yeah. that you could share from some of these teams that you've worked with culturally that might, might be interesting for our leaders. You know, I, I think it's, um, I think there's interest, like, I think about the, I think about how certain organizations behave and I, there's a, there's a gentleman that, um, that runs the New York Yankees. His name's Kevin Dart. He's, he's absolutely, I love him because he's, he's not originally a sales guy, but he manages a really big sales team. And every day if you go fi- follow Kevin on, uh, LinkedIn, he's always putting some positive out. But what he he is so consistent with his message. He wakes up every day and you call him on his phone. You know, thanks for calling the 27 time world champion. And like he is so he wakes up every morning saying That's awesome, by the way. That's awesome. It is. And you know, he and, and Kevin believes in the Yankees. Like he is so grateful that he has a job there. And it is so genuine. Right. And I'm not, him and I always talk is like, you got to get other people to where you are. And he goes, look, not everybody's built to be a, a Yankee. And, you know, people, you know, I, I'm not talking from what your favorite team is, folks. Trust me. I am not talking what your favorite team is. Um, I, I think of the Red Sox and, and a guy named David Bags and Bagsy is, um, runs us inside sales academy. And when they, they move their people. And they do a good job. Like when their people are successful, they they move their people out and they go get them jobs in other sports industries, right? He does a great job. He, he just he doesn't get those kids live up in Boston, but they're not paid highly paid and stuff like that. But when they go to other teams, they kill it. I think of people like Chad Estes. Chad is one of my closest friends over the years in, in pro sports. He wrote the forward to my book. I look at the amount of people that he has developed in, as as a leader. Um, the amount of people in pro sports that are, that have come out of his stable, right? And that's because he's so loyal to him and he builds them over time and they have become these great leaders across pro sports. So, and, and that list is five to 10 deep there, right? Like, um, I, I, I think, you know, those organizations that have that money ball concept where they're there to build talent. Because if you think about your job as a sales leader, it's, it's two things and it shifts all the time. Right. Your job's either to get results and build people or build people and get results, but it shifts constantly. So, so really two parts of your job, build results and, and, and develop talent. That's it. Constant shift, shift, shift. Yeah. I like that. That's a really good kind of duality of the job as a sales leader. So, so let's kind of take on that. And, and this is the kind of the last thing that I wanted to try to get into before we start to wrap up. 
in your opinion, in your point of view, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. And what I love is I listen to you. You're a guy that's adapted. I love like your perspective on the, the modern day worker rather than like, oh, this is how it used to be when I was a kid. There's a lot of people that hold on to old school. You've adapted. You've taken things that worked and continue to make it work. You found new ways to do things and make those work. You tailor rather than customize. I love everything I'm hearing you say. As you look at your experience um, and you've worked with some amazing organizations, I love like some of those cultural things you share, you share like a great cultural element is I believe in the Yankees. I mean, I think every sales leader should say, do, do my teammates believe in our mission, right? right. I mean, what do you see the great sales uh, teams do that the average ones don't do? Anything that stands out? I, I think number one is, is the great ones develop their talent. The average ones hire their talent. Ooh. Yeah, time oh, and time. Back up, Lance. Beep, beep, beep. We're backing up, okay? Say that again. That is a big statement. I want to make sure that that doesn't fly by. I think the great sales organizations are building their talent, not hiring their talent. And, and you're either got a group of mercenaries or you've got a people, a bunch of people believe in the mission. I am not saying I'm not a black and white guy, right? So I'm not saying you don't go out and hire, right? I just hired, I hired one of my mentors recently as one of our salespeople. Her name's Sandy Beck. Um, she's wow. working at Carnegie. She trained me. Um, and I went out and hired her. She's the first person, maybe three or four years that we didn't develop internally as a salesperson, but you've got to be committed to building internally. That's that. Looking for that raw talent, that's that whole Moneyball book that the Oakland A's right. wrote. Like, right. there's an organization believes in it. They, they, they have a great inside sales team that they just build their talent. So, but, but they're not hiring a bunch of mercenaries. So they're not overfilled mercenaries. And right now, any salesperson that's out there, like, are you joining a group of mercenaries when you're getting recruited? I don't know if I, it, I guess it's fun being a mercenary until you're killed, right? Like, <laughs> Well, you know what you just reminded me of? I, I don't remember. I think it's the it's attributed to the Marines. Everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, that's what you're talking about there. I, I've, I've always loved that statement. So that's a really good one. The great ones develop rather than just get mercenaries. Yeah. I, I think there's so much. We could have an episode around how you do that. Is yeah. there any other things you've seen that, like, great orgs do well? That other, cause I'd love to leave them with one or two of these things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think, you know, I don't want to be over cliche, but I just – I just, one of my favorite people in the world is this guy, um, and I, I write about him in my book. He's a good friend. His name is Joel Adams. And um, he was, he, I was talking to him the other day, and he was coaching his people. I was out there, and he works with the Clippers. And um, he said, as a salesperson, you've you got to be able to describe how you do business, how what's your sales process. And I, I think right now we're doing – we're doing our our reps, all of us, I don't care what kind of business you're in, a disservice by letting them drink out of the trough of so much content. You as an organization, as a leader, you got to commit to a sales process. Like we, we're very careful not even going into training with an organization that has three or four trainers in a year because mm-hmm. I think it confuses the salespeople. I think you got to commit to your salespeople understanding the sales process that you're using and committing and selling out to that game plan. You don't change your offensive coordinator in the middle of a game. Right. And you you don't allow your salespeople to do that. You got to give them a predictable, scalable way to business. And and I'm, I'm a big believer, whatever that is, I'm not saying subscribe to our sales 
system. I'm saying subscribe to something, right? Commit to something. I love it. Those are two really, really good ones. Um, and I think that applies to any sales work. I, I really like that. These are super insightful. Um, last thing that uh, you've given me some of your non-negotiables. I love your four-step process. It's good. The last thing that I wanted to ask before we start to wrap up, and, and I really am interested in your answer on this one, because I, I really am impressed with your experience and the way you do things. Kudos to you. You've done amazing stuff. Um, we all know that sales, we signed up for sales because the scoreboard matters. We all know that, okay? We, we run to that scoreboard. We not run from it. But that's a lagging indicator. I mean, when you're helping people transform and, and rev up the engine, how do you know you're having impact as a leader in ways other than sales? What are the things you look for that help you know that success is coming? Um, you know, in, in theory, and and I, it's just so everybody knows, I'm just not a trainer and speaker. I right before this meeting, I was yeah. all my salespeople, five salespeople. And you got to decide what you coach and, and train and comment and, 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 and really focus on. It's either, it's either outcomes, activities, or behaviors. And, and what I see from, from, from sales leaders is they end up honing in on one, right? Where you get some sales, they're just worried about phone calls. Phone calls, phone calls, phone calls. And then all of a sudden your salespeople are acting like telemarketers. Well, shit, the only thing you, you focused on was, was phone calls. Of course they think they're, they're telemarketers, right? Are you focusing on behaviors and have you outlined what those behaviors are? Activities are important. Metrics, but metrics matter, but not all equal, right? And then, and then the last thing is outcomes. I would say this as a sales leader, and I really, this is my last piece of advice. You treat people fairly, not equally. Ooh, another well, good one. Let's, uh, let's dive into that. Couple set, couple, couple of, of clarification on that. So, so what I expect from my first line is not what I expect from my third or fourth liners. And not everybody's a first liner. Sorry. Right. So some people are like, well, that's like, like so and so got more ice time or so and so got that lead. I didn't get it. Well, they're, they're my first liner. I just had a, I had one of my salespeople complain that they were next in rotation for the lead. And I said, well, she said, why didn't, why didn't you give it to me? I said, well, cause I thought the other person would do better. They go, why? I said, cause right now I'm going to put my investment in them because they're 90% of all right now. Well, that's not fair. I said, no, 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 no. You're misconstruing. That's not equal. You don't get equal. You get fair. And I learned that over watching my kids play hockey, like your ice time, that, that bench might be shortened. Last five minutes of the game, yes. right? Or depending on the opponent, and that's your decision making as a leader. It's not equal; it's fair, because you have you have to develop, you have to focus the right resources to get a return. You said it earlier. Our goals are going up twenty percent, and our resources are climbing four. We're being tasked with the new business reality of doing things faster, better with less resources. Yep. Well, then I got to make some choices and they might not always be the most popular choice. Lance, I dig you, man. I love your depth, man. I could tell you've, you've, you're just pulling the stuff out and I love it. That, that only comes because you've been living it so long. You are good at what you do. And I love your perspective on, on the challenges associated with sales. And I love from the sports perspective. I, I, I do. I love it. It's, it's fun to hear that perspective. It's such a, a fresh look. Um, let's get into the rapid fire. I finish every episode the same way. I can't believe uh, how much time has already gone, but, but uh, this will be fun to see how you answer these three. It's, it's the same for everyone. Number one, 
By the way, you ready? You ready to go? Um, okay, here we go. Number one, um, your your biggest sales leadership challenge, and how do you beat it? Um, I I think my 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 biggest leadership sales challenge is is absolutely liking somebody as opposed to not uh-huh. not getting the result. I, I I struggle with that one. I struggle with a big. I was thinking about that before we got in the show today. Um, I have a person I really like on staff, but they're not getting a result. So that's my biggest challenge because, because I, because I want to, as a trainer, I want to make everybody succeed. And how do I deal with it? It comes back to that transparency and it is not easy. And with this one thing I'm struggling with right now, it's kept me up the last two nights. That's what I struggle with. That's my greatest daily challenge as a sales leader. That's a really good one. And there's a lot of people who struggle with that one. And I think you're right. Transparency is the thing. I guess you just have to make really clear rules of engagement. Yes, and I haven't been candid with this person. I pump their tires when I should, right? Oh. Okay, that's a good one. Second one, this is a popular request from our listeners. I can't wait to hear your answer. When you're interviewing potential reps, is there a question that you found as a go-to way of of getting some insight on uh, potentially what would make a good salesperson? I ask this question every time I interview somebody. If you had a niece or nephew that was seven or eight years old, and you were sitting on the edge of a dock and they asked you, uncle or aunt so-and-so, what does it mean to be successful? And you had to give it to a seven or eight-year-old. What's your answer? Go. Woo. Lance, deep thoughts with Lance Tyson. I like it. That's good. <laughs> That's a new one. We have for sure not heard that one. I like it. I bet you get some really interesting insights with that. You do. You get the canned ones or you get the thoughtful ones. And then the other thing we always I, I like to make people do is, Teach me out of a Betty Crocker cake box how to make a cake. Go. I hand them the, and say, I want to see if they follow instructions or they're creative. I want to see if they were intent me. That's another thing we'll do. So Two good ones. Last one. Um, what we found is leaders are readers. Now, I see your book behind you here. We're going to want to make sure that we make it easy to get. Yep. And uh, you also have the designation of being the only person on our show that us, their own bobblehead made of them, which I also <laughs> think is super cool. Um it's not Bain. It was an award, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't care if it's books that you're turning pages or if it's audibles or podcasts. What's something that you would suggest for people that want to up their leadership game that they ought to make sure that they get their hands on and read or, or listen to or whatever? So last night, no- last night, believe it or not, I'm not making this up. My sons are heading off to college and we did vision boards. And Good. so it was to take about 30, 40 minutes and we just take, throw a bunch of magazines and a, about this size poster board. And then you got to, take words or pictures to define who you are, what you're about and where you're going. And I, I tend to give this book away to most new leaders. And it's all the places you'll go by Dr. Seuss. There's two Love things. that book. Really important. One, you'll play lonely games too, games you can't win because they'll be against you. And I think we've got to be teaching that to salespeople all the time. You play very lonely games in sales. But then at the end, he says, so be your name Buxcom Bixby, Bucks and Bixby are brave, Mordecai, Van Allen, O'Shea, you're off to great places, you're off and away, your mountain's waiting to get on your way. But right before that, he says, you will succeed, yes, you will indeed, 98 and three quarters percent guaranteed, kid, you'll move mountains, right? So it's all these lessons that we have to give salespeople, like, if you follow what we tell you, you're going to succeed. I can't guarantee you to succeed, but you're going to succeed. And we've got to get them to believe in themselves. We've got to keep them out of their heads, and we got to show them that the next mountain's there. So I think it's the best leadership book in history. I think the, just pick the book up. It's great. I I love it. I can get I can raise my arm and say I I agree. 
Great suggestion. Lance, I have enjoyed this. I knew I was going to enjoy this conversation. I enjoyed it even more than I thought. Thank you so much for joining us, man. You're going to have a lot of people that are going to say, hey, I want to get more of Lance. I want to continue the conversation. I want to learn more about the Tyson Group. How do they get more of you? How do they continue the conversation? How do they do all that stuff? So uh, follow me on uh, Twitter, um, uh, Lance uh, Lance Tyson, uh, Twitter. Um, connect with me on LinkedIn, TysonGroup.com. Go buy my book on Amazon, Songs in a Way Game. Um, I'll answer you. So send me send me your contact information. I'll, I'll, I'll hook up with you. You had so many great insights today. I, I don't know which one was my favorite. I, you know, culture versus a cult, motivation versus manipulation, uh, consistently inconsistent. I mean, there's a ton. There's so much that we got from you today. Uh, Lance, I just want to thank you again. And, and as we said, everyone, happy selling, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And I really enjoyed having Lance Tyson come in. I'm a, as if you know me at all, you know I'm a sports fan. Uh, I, you, you make it competitive. I'm interested. I've always thought that sales was the closest thing to being in professional sports because one person wins and everybody else loses. And, and I love that. I love that the more you work on your craft, the better you compete, the, the better you handle situations, the more likely you are to win. And I feel like that's a metaphor from sports. And what I really dug was listening to his approach as a professional salesperson, sales leader uh, in this environment, how it was A, B2B. It was really interesting to get his take on that. But maybe more important, the importance of sales leaders. You know, he said he won't even start with someone if they don't get to start with the leaders first. Too often we hire, to, we, we hire a trainer to train reps or we go get uh, a tech for reps. And one of the things that I've seen happen more often than not is we get tools and we get training, but we don't have a good leadership strategy. That's the thing that really kind of jumps at me. He had a lot of killer insights, but I was just on the road this week uh, with Outreach. Uh, you guys know I'm a fan of, of what Outreach is doing. And they asked me to speak at their summit series in Boston and in New York City. And it was interesting to me how much of the the theme was around playbooks, but how much of the training and the speaking from these industry leaders was around coaching, that really execution is what it all comes down to. And since we had a sports guy on, on today, uh, the way I started that speech was I showed uh, pictures of great sales dynasties set to music. And then I made a video of, of sports leaders saying that it wasn't the game plan, it was execution. And if you go back and you look at great sports people when they lose, they generally look in the mirror and say, we didn't execute well. They rarely say that they got caught off guard. They say, we had the right plan. We just didn't execute well. And that's why I really liked what uh, Lance brought to this show, because he was talking about how do leaders help people execute. And he had some killer stuff. I love his blueprint. I love the four things around assess design, train, and coach, and how assess is a verb. thought that was awesome. I really love his four juxtapositions. He started with make sure you have a culture, not a cult. And It's more than just getting people to drink Kool-Aid. It's more than just getting people to, like, do and say what you tell them to do and say. And, and that you got to get these believers. Coach, I mean, culture is really about genuine belief. I love this story about this, this general manager that I believe in the Yankees. That quote, I wrote it down. I believe in the Yankees. And they want to hire people that believe in the Yankees. And so are you as a leader building a culture where they say, I believe in fill in the blank? You know, for me here at my company, I believe in ex-voyant. I believe that when leaders start coaching better, that 
Companies make more money, teams are more successful, and maybe more important, lives change. You know, that's the belief that we want people to genuinely have. And you ought to ask yourself, does my culture create genuine belief in the organization? Now, there's two or three juxtapositions that he shared that really helped me understand why he came from that position. You know, he talked about people being built versus people being born. And that a leader's job is to help build people without offending them. I like he said, if you're a duck, you're going to be a duck. If you try to turn it into an eagle, all you're going to do is piss off the duck. But you want to find a way to help the duck be as successful as possible and leverage what it is that makes it great without trying to have it lose its nest and have it be something that's different. Another one that he talked about was motivation versus manipulation. Now, manipulation has this negative connotation. What I really liked was he was very upfront saying fake motivation, playing games, gamifying, things like that. You know what? That That's fleeting. It's it's not going to change culture. Culture, if your culture is we have games and competitions, you're going to lose interest really fast. But manipulation doesn't have to be bad. Manipulation, that, that definition of a skillful, to be used in a skillful way or to act in a skillful way, that spoke to me. Are you good at helping your reps act in a skillful way? And, you know, so not negative manipulation, making them do something that maybe they would do unwillingly or unknowingly, but to have them knowingly act in a more skillful way, manipulate their skills, manipulate how they use time, manipulate how they look for and, and, and handle situations, and use that positive definition of manipulation, not the negative one, because the motivation play, that's when you're manipulating them. I love that. True coaching is a positive way. Just gamesmanship is a negative way. And then the last juxtaposition that I'll call out, he had a few more in there that were awesome, was this liking versus leading. And he talked about that culture needed to be, what do you stand for? How transparent can you be? And I really think that's important. When I say, what do you stand for? I'm not talking about what will you put up with. What I'm talking about is, what are you known for? What do you do for and with your reps? What do you truly believe? And so I, I loved it. You know, As a leader, these are really important things uh, for us to think about. Because if we can get good at that, we can create this genuine belief inside our organization. We'll be highly successful. And this should be something that excites you because you are responsible for the culture you create. Create that climate. I loved how I talked about thermostat versus uh, thermometer. Sometimes you got to heat it up and sometimes you got to cool it down. It's best if you can set the temperature and keep it there. But there will be times when you'll need strategies to heat it up. You will need strategies to cool it down. So be that genuine leader that is predictably unpredictable. Don't just be so able to, to, to never ever come up with things that they wouldn't already know. I loved having Lance. Thank you, Lance. Uh, go back, buy his book, listen to what he has to say. He's a terrific sales leader. Uh, and to all of you, I hope that you're off to having a good year. We're at that point where we're getting ready to make the year-end push. Make sure that your leadership is on point. Don't just push the more button. Make sure you're pushing the how button and it's consistent with the climate that you're keeping. Keep giving us those five-star ratings. Keep giving us suggestions for who you want to have on. Keep giving me suggestions for questions you want me to ask. But above all, don't worry. Keep listening to us because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.